Thank you, Barry. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, as we continue to walk through this letter. We're closing in on our break. We're going to be taking a break from our sermon series when we get to the end of November because we will begin celebrating what is called Advent, which is preparing our hearts to celebrate God giving his son Christ to us that we celebrate over Christmas. And so in the weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to be highlighting and preparing ourselves for the fact that God in his wonderful grace decided that he would reach down out of heaven and he would rescue his people by his son. And I don't know about you, but that's better than any Christmas present anybody could ever give me underneath a tree. And so we're going to prepare for that. But for the next two or three weeks, we have 1 Corinthians in front of us. I hope you're excited to hear from God's word today. Are you excited to hear God's word to you? Are you excited to open up a copy of God's word and read it in your own language that you might understand? Because there are places in this world where there are no Bibles in the language of the people that they could read on their own. I'm going to show you one day, one morning, I'm going to show you a video of a group, a tribe of people who received God's word for the first time in their own language. I'm going to show you that video one morning, and it will it'll grip your heart. As these folks are standing on the runway at an airport, it's nothing but a grass runway, and the plane flew into their village, and on the plane were boxes of the Bible in their own language for the very first time, and they're they're cheering as the plane lands, and they're singing as the plane lands. And when the boxes are taken off the plane, the pastor of the village prays for his people. And he, he thanks God that God, has, that God had saw fit to allow them to have his word in their language. Folks, I'm telling you, we pick up this Bible every day like it's nothing. You read it, you put it on the shelf. Sometimes you don't read it because you know it's still there. Gone are the days when we used to go, yay, we have a copy of God's word and we get to read it and we can understand it. So I hope you're excited to open up God's word and read it this morning. You ready? First Corinthians chapter 4. If you are physically able this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand. In honor of God's word, if you're not physically able, God loves you. You stay seated and you just, you pour out your heart to God as, as we read. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 6, going to verse 21, do not get scared by that. Here's what Paul writes. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Paul writes, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you've become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. 
For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as Though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Let's pray. God, help us to understand these verses. Teach us this morning your word. Cause it to take root in our hearts that, God, we might not sin against you. I ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. if you say amen, you can sit down. Remember the background. Paul has been expounding on the difference between worldly and godly wisdom. And as the Corinthians have divided themselves up into different groups, under different leaders, they show themselves to be giving way to a worldly wisdom and demonstrating a need for something more than Christ. And Paul has expressed in the previous verses that Paul, Apollos, and Cephas were servants. They weren't lords. Christ alone was the Lord, and he deserved their worship. But now he wants to expand all that and continue to give them that picture of what real serving looks like. And so the title I've come up with, which is probably a terrible one, but it's one I've come up with, it's called The Reality of Serving Christ. The Reality of Serving Christ. If you do not have a notebook, you should bring a notebook with you when you come to church so that you can take notes because 95% of what I say you will not remember after you leave here. So you need to have a notebook. You need to have a Bible. You need to have a notebook when you come and be ready to take notes. And just so you know, someone generously in the church provided notebooks out in the foyer. If you want to leave now to go get one, I understand. It's okay. But someone donated some of those small yellow portfolio notebooks. If you don't have a notebook this morning and you want one, go get it and come back in here. But I want you to take notes. I want you to be ready to do that so that we can really immerse ourselves in God's word and so you can walk away hopefully applying what we're talking about this morning. Let's start in verse 6 as Paul continues to teach and to show the need for godly wisdom over human wisdom. He says in verse 6, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Now, he's been sharing in the verses just previous to this how he is simply a servant of Christ. He's simply a steward of the mysteries of God. And because of that, it doesn't originate with him. He is simply serving Christ, the one who is the good news, the one who is the Savior. That he and Apollos aren't to be worshipped, they are they're but mere servants of Christ who deserves their worship. 
And Paul addresses himself and Apollos directly, he says, for the benefit of the Christians in Corinth as illustrations. They are examples. In fact, if you notice in chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, Paul shared that neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God is the one who gives growth. So Paul is rightly bringing them back to human leaders don't deserve your devotion. Christ does. Churches should not find themselves committed to the pastor more than Christ. And you're not here to follow me unless I'm imitating Jesus. Then you follow. But in the end, Christ is your Lord. And no deacon or leader in this church deserves the worship that Christ deserves. And Paul says, me and Apollos are examples of that. I love the fact that he only uses he and Apollos. He leaves Peter out of it. He's not going to drag Peter into this. He says, I'll just speak for me and Apollos. We are servants, we are ministers, and we do not deserve your worship, Christ does. And he says that he holds himself and Apollos up as examples to them for two, per, for two particular reasons. Number one, that the church may learn not to go beyond what is written. And number two, that none of them would be puffed up in favor of one against another. Being servants, Paul and Apollos serving as servants to the church are for the purpose of that the church may learn not to go beyond what is written and that none of them would be puffed up in favor of one against another. So what does he mean when he says go beyond what is written? Well, on several occasions so far in this letter, Paul has said, as it is written. When Paul says, as it is written, what is he referring to? The Bible, the Hebrew scriptures that they had, right? He's appealing to God's word. He's saying, as it is written, as Paul has been teaching them and guiding them, he's always been bringing it back to what? God's truth. It's not his opinion. It's God's truth, and it's what they would have recognized as God's truth at their time. Just so you know, they didn't have these nice Bibles we have, right? But they knew what was God's truth. They knew what was part of the Hebrew scriptures, and they studied them, and they memorized them, and they clung to them. And he's, everything Paul has been saying, he's been prefacing with as it is written. And guess what Paul wants the church at Corinth to do? Not go beyond what is written. Which is what they're doing when they start dividing themselves up under human leaders. They're going beyond what the Bible says and they're doing what they wish to do. He says, let's not go beyond what is written. So he says, Apollos and I are nothing but servants. Because that's what God's word has called us to and that's what we do. He says also, number two, that none of them would be puffed up in favor of one against another. That means to be prideful. And we see already here in what Paul's saying that division in the church is actually the church pitting Paul against Apollos and against Peter and ultimately against Jesus. It's to act as if they're all doing battle with one another to see who is supreme. Can I help you with that? There is no battle between those because Christ reigns. And what they're doing is when they divide themselves up, they're saying, well, I think Paul is better than Cephas, or I think Cephas is better than Apollos, or I think Apollos is greater than Jesus. Guess what? No one is supreme to Christ. No one deserves your worship but him. And so in the end, what Paul points them to is don't be puffed up, don't be prideful, pitting them against one another. Paul doesn't want to be pitted against Apollos. He says, we're working together. Don't, don't put us up against one another. Christ alone deserves your worship. And then Paul brings the focus back around to those he's writing to. He says, for who sees anything different in you? Who sees anything, right? I love this because I think what he's saying is, in the midst of all your division and factions, 
which one of you looks better than the other? Well, they don't look better. Who gets to be supreme? Who looks more superior? They look the same to me. They've just divided themselves under human leaders. Who sees anything that makes one faction superior to the others? And then he says this, oh, this is what God does. God's word, first of all, humbles us. Because look at what he says in verse 7. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? Uh-oh. He says, which one of you has earned the right to be superior to the others? I think Paul would include himself. What have I done to make me superior to these other brothers? Just so you know, if I had been Paul, I'd have been. If I had been Paul, I'd be like, I, I'm it. You know what I'm talking about? Paul, Paul was a genius. Paul was a genius. Paul studied under the best Paul was wise beyond his years. He, he could communicate the gospel in a way that I would make me look... Blah, 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 blah. Paul, and if anybody had the right to go... You know, did, who gets to stand in heaven and say, you know, I wrote most of the New Testament. <laughs> How y'all doing? But instead, Paul humbles himself. Well, that sounds familiar because there is one who deserves all glory and honor, and he humbled himself too. So guess what Paul does? He says, it ain't about me. I'm a servant of Christ. He says, what have we, what have we that we did not receive? Any of you deserve God's grace? Any of you in this room live such a clean life that God just deserves and owes you heaven? If you're to be honest, no. We've done enough today to mark us for hell forever. So which one of you didn't receive God's grace when you were saved? Every single person in this room is a Christian. If you're a Christian this morning in this room, it's because God was just good to you. It wasn't because he looked on you and goes, you know what? You look pretty clean. I think I'll save you. You've I know you're trying really hard. I know, I know you've helped a lot of old ladies across the street. So I'm going to save you. No, God looks on us and sees nothing but sin and brokenness and death. He says, you know what? I'm going to save you anyways. Which one of you hasn't received. And he says, and if you've received, why are you boasting? Isn't that exactly what it says here? If then you have received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Why do you boast as if you've earned something before God? Woo, that's humbling. Because it means that we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners dead and stuck in sin, but Christ came that we may be forgiven. And all who place their trust in him will have eternal life. And forgiveness from sin, right? Which one of you as a Christian didn't, des didn't receive grace from God? So why would you boast in anything else? Apollos or Peter or Paul? Why would you boast in anyone else? They didn't give you nothing. Jesus did. Whew, so Paul humbles us right there at the beginning. He's talking to the church in Corinth, and he humbles them. He says, y'all have received grace from God. Where's the boasting coming from? Then verse 8. He says, already you have all you want, already you've become rich, without us you become kings, and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. Notice how he describes the church in Corinth, or the Christians who are serving there. He says, you already have all you want, he says, you have become rich, and he says, you've become kings. 
The problem is the church in Corinth needs to be humbled because the church in Corinth thinks they're kings on their own. The church in Corinth has wealth. They're rich. They set themselves up as kings to be honored by all men. You know what the problem is in Corinth? Christians have gotten a little haughty, a little prideful, a little boastful of how great they are. And look what Paul says. Paul says somewhat sarcastically, I believe, oh, that you were actually kings so that we might rule with you. See, the Corinthians have set themselves up thinking that they are God's gift to fill in the blank. And so they become rich, they become comfortable, they set themselves up as kings and ask all the rest of the Corinthians to, to honor them. Look at us. Look at how great we are. We're kings. And Paul says, oh, I wish you really were kings. That way I could rule with you, but you're not. That's humbling stuff. When, when Paul shows up and says, uh, you, you ain't all that. Can I help you out as I help myself out? I ain't all that. I, can anyone say amen to that? No. <laughs> I ain't all that. Neither are you. You ain't all that. I don't, I don't, listen, I don't, I don't care who your daddy is. I don't care who your grandpappy was. You know, I don't, I don't care how nice your house is. I, I, don't, I don't care how many cars you drive. I, I don't care how much money you got in your account. I don't care how cute your kids are. I don't care. You ain't all that. Christ is, but you ain't. Amen. You know, so, sometimes what God has to do to us is break us down again. And the Corinthians, the problem is they think they're all that. They think they've got it all figured out. They are kings already. What do they have need of? They're already kings. They're rich. They're comfortable. They get honor. What Paul says is, be careful. Because while they're setting themselves up as kings, Paul says he and the others are sacrificing for the gospel. And they are finding themselves in much different circumstances. Notice what he says. Verse 9, for I think that God has exhibited us as apostles last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. So rather than ruling, the apostles seem to be on display by God as last of all humans, as men sentenced to death, a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. The apostles are far from living like masters but rather they look like servants. You see what Paul's doing? I think he's giving them a, an example to contrast their own lives with. While they've, while they've set themselves up as kings, Paul says, we as the apostles seem to be on display as the last men on earth sentenced to death. He goes even further than that, if you notice. Paul's not going to stop on this discussion of how broken their circumstances are. He says in verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We're weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We've become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. So while the Corinthians are setting themselves up on their thrones, Paul says, me and Apollos, 
and Cephas and the apostles, we are like men sentenced to death. Nobody's holding them in honor. Their lives are on the line. They are treated like refuse. Can I tell you, this is the tale of two worlds. The world the Corinthians are living in and the world the apostles are living in. Do you see the stark contrast between them? One world has itself set up in comfort and riches, the honor of men. The other is marked as those who are dead, refuse, scum of the world. So while the Corinthians, he said, viewed themselves as wise and strong and held in honor, Paul describes himself as a fool, weak, held in disrepute, hungry, thirsty, poorly dressed, buffeted. You know what that word means? Struck in the face with a fist and homeless. He says they're reviled. He's persecuted. He's slandered. He's like the scum of the earth. So while the Corinthians are viewing themselves as wise and strong, Paul says we as the apostles seem to be in disrepute, weak, and to seem to be the scum of the earth. See, the Corinthians seem to believe they shouldn't have to stoop to live as the apostles lived. They deserve better, I think, they believe. But the caution here is very similar to what I see in places like James chapter 4, verse 4, where, where we're told, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Be careful if you seek after the honor of men. Jesus says in Luke 6, 26, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. We seem to have a contrast between the apostles' pursuit of Christ and the Corinthians' pursuit of worldly wisdom and honor. And that, what seem, that seems to mark them as spiritual infants living as though they lack something in Christ that they need to get from a human leader. But notice what he goes on to say in verse 14. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. I love this. Because in, in a letter that seems to be Paul just smacking them about the fact that they are prideful and boastful and, and they're trying to seek for something outside of Christ and, and they're pitting the apostles against one another, Paul says, but I do not want to come in and make you ashamed. I want to admonish you. That's a big difference because what Paul says is I'm not just here to smack you across the face and tell you to stop it. He says, I'm coming to you like a father comes to his children who are in error. You see the compassion? The tone, the tone there is one of love and compassion. He says, I'm not here, I'm not here to ashamed, make you ashamed. I'm here to warn you as my children. He does this, he says, because while they have teachers or guides, they do not have many fathers. He says, though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, back in those days, those who had wealth and those who could would have guides or tutors for their children. And the tutors would be there for the kids to take them to school, to bring them home from school, to kind of do the same thing as go over their lessons with them, teach them how to, be, how to have manners. And these were those who came alongside when mom and dad weren't there, the tutors were there to care for the kids. Uh, what do you, uh, super nanny. Anybody watch that show? Or 
Right? She'd come in and discipline the kids who weren't disciplined, right? That's what they, they had tutors. Those who could afford it would have attendants who would stay with their children, get them to school and home, go over their stuff with them, teach them manners, be a guide for them in life while the parents were away. And the, Paul says, you got plenty of those. You got plenty of attendants, but what you don't have many of are fathers. Paul comes to the church as a father to his children. You see the care and compassion and love? Oh. I'm so, glad that's how, I'm so glad that's how God comes to us as our Father who cares. And just so you know, there's a difference between a hired babysitter and a father. At least there should be. Because there's a love and a compassion that a father has for his kids that no babysitter ever could. And when Paul sees these children, these spiritual babies in error, he wants to bring warning to them that they might turn and that they might pursue Christ. That's what he wants. He's not there to smack them. He's there to see them walking after Jesus because he loves them. And notice what he says they are to do in verse 16. He says, I urge you then be imitators of me. Uh-oh. Listen, it takes a bold statement for you to talk to other adults and say, you know what you should do? Imitate me. You better be pretty comfortable in your walk before you start telling people to imitate you. But Paul says, here's what I'm urging you to do, Corinthians. Imitate me. And just so you know, later on in the letter, in chapter 11, verse 1, he's actually 10 into verse, in chapter 11, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So Paul's not saying, be like me. Paul is saying, follow my example as I'm trying to be like Christ. And that's what the scriptures are about. Being like Christ. You know, the stories we have in the scriptures are to point to Jesus. They point to him. David and Goliath is not just a story about some small dude who took down a big old ogre. Right? And it's not just an illustration to use when we get to basketball season. David and Goliath is a picture of Christ defeating the Goliath of sin. <laughs> Goliath is a picture of evil David is a type of Jesus, and he was pointed to the fact that there is coming a Christ. He's the Messiah who will conquer not some big ogre, but will conquer sin and death and Satan. It's about Christ. So Paul is saying it ain't about be like Paul. Do not walk away from 1 Corinthians going, you know what I need to do? Be like Paul. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The story of 1 Corinthians 4 is not be like Paul, it's be like Jesus. And Paul just happens to be the example to the Corinthians of Christ walking among them. And he talks about that. He talks about the fact that he said, that's why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child and Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. My ways, right? Timothy came. Paul sent Timothy to the church in Corinth to remind them of what Paul taught them and how he lived among them. So Timothy showed up talking about how Paul had served there and reminding them of that. Woo! You gotta be pretty, you gotta be pretty solid about your imitating of Christ to send your buddy to go talk to the church about how they remember you served him. And then he says, as I teach them everywhere in every church. This example that Paul is writing here is not just an example for the church in Corinth, but every church that he ministered to. So the Corinthians aren't different. This is the same word that he's been bringing to every church he's been a part of, and this is the same word that applies to us today as well. 
And then finally, verses 18 through 21, here's what we see. He says in verse 18, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. It seems from verse 18 and 19 that there were people in the church in Corinth who were belittling Paul and basically saying, you know what, Paul doesn't really care about you. You want to know how I know? He ain't coming back here for you. He sent Timothy to you, but he didn't come himself. And there's people in the church trying to say that Paul doesn't care about them because he hasn't shown up yet. Paul says, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. Paul's desire is to be there with them, and he will arrive when God allows him to go. And Paul says when he does arrive, he will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power, because anyone can talk. Anyone can run their mouth. I know that, because I did it in high school. That's all I did in high school was run my mouth. But if anyone ever bowed up to me, Jason was scooting. Jason wasn't built to fight. He was built to run. But I talked a good game. But eventually someone will step up and see whether you're all talk or whether there's power there. And Paul says, all these people in the church who are trying to tell you that I don't love you and I don't care, or that somehow you need them above Christ, he says, I'll show up and I'll find these arrogant people and I'm not going to talk about what they're saying. We're going to see what kind of power they have. <laughs> Paul's a bad dude, man. <laughs> He's just, Yikes. But he's confident that what they need is Christ, not some guide. Teachers are great only so much as they point you to Jesus. He says in verse 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. God demonstrates his power. And Paul, I believe, would stand confidently that God had displayed his power in Paul's ministry to them. Paul didn't have to talk. The power of God was at work rescuing them. And then he ends on this. I love verse 21. He's going to put it in their hands. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and the spirit of gentleness? Paul said, it's up to you. It's your choice, church. You want me to come with the rod when I visit you? Or you want me to come with love and the spirit of gentleness? I don't know about you. I'll take the love. But Paul was willing to bring the rod if necessary. If it meant it was for their good. Because he wants them in allegiance to Christ. Not some human leader. Paul wants them to worship Jesus alone and to see that they are but humble people while God is the sovereign creator of the universe who rescues people by his own hand. That's what he wants them to see. And if he's got to bring the rod to show you that or if he's going to come in love and show you that, one way or the other, you're walking away knowing Christ deserves your worship, no one else. And the Corinthians need to follow the example of Christ rather than the world. We see this in the life of Christ who they are called to imitate through Paul's example. Just so you know, which world would Christ be more marked by? The one that described the Corinthians as rulers in honor with riches and wise? Or the ones despised? The ones poor? Just so you know, Christ was hated by the world. And the apostles were treated as Christ was treated. 
Paul says, I was a fool, weak, in disrepute, hungry, and thirsty, poorly dressed and buffeted. Remember, hit with a fist, homeless, reviled, persecuted, slandered, like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. That sounds familiar because what Paul is, is modeling is what Jesus did. Because Jesus was described that way. How could the Corinthians think that somehow they deserved honor when the king of kings, he was the one who came and he was hated. He was a fool. He was weak. He was in disrepute. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was poorly dressed. He was hit in the face with a fist. He was homeless. He was reviled. He was persecuted, slandered like the scum of the earth, like the refuse of all things. That's who Christ was. And he did that so that we might reign with him, but not on earth. We're going to reign with him in his kingdom. And until that day, we are going to be marked by the world as refuse, as scum of the earth. We may look poor, but we are rich in Christ. We may look homeless, but we have a home. We may look poorly dressed, but there's a white robe waiting for me. And Paul says to the Corinthians, why are you settling? Why are you settling for bankrupt joy? But the road is narrow. It's hard. That leads to life. And Paul is sharing with the Corinthians, don't Take the easy road. It's marked by death. Can I help you guys this morning? Like, I want to help me. I want to help me. I want to be like Christ. And sometimes I fail. Sometimes I don't look like it, but I want to be like Christ. And if that means I got to be poor, then I want to be poor. And if that means I got to be homeless, I'd rather be homeless and have Jesus. If it means i got to be in disrepute, if it means someone's got to hit me in the face, if it means I'm going to be slandered and persecuted, I'd rather have that and have Christ than to have all the comforts in the world and be lost and going to hell. I don't know about you Christians, I'd rather take the hard road. And I need God's help on the hard road, I'm assuming you do too. And so what we need to do this morning is cry out, number one, that we would worship God. And if you're here this morning and you're trusting in your own efforts to save you, I want to tell you to stop. You can never earn God's favor, but Jesus came. He died in your place freely to give you grace that you might be saved. Trust in Christ this morning, not your own work. And Christians in the room... When the world starts beckoning us, saying, it's better over here, it's better over here, you'll have more joy, more fun, more glory over here, don't buy the lie. It's filled with death and disappointment. Follow after Christ. It's the hard road, but it leads to life. And you need that, and I need that. As dead people, we need life. And Christ has brought that to us. And I'll end on this. I'm so glad to know that I'm not stumbling, that I'm not going to fall short of the line. I'm so glad that the Bible says that when I'm his kid, he's going to carry me across the line and deposit me in front of the father and say, there's your kid. He's perfect now. <laughs> I don't have to fret all the obstacles. The road is hard. I don't have to worry because all the obstacles cannot stop Jesus from getting me to the father. 
forever and completely. Folks, I can't give you any better news than if you're a Christian and you're trusting in Christ, life awaits. We have life now, but the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you to help us to see your beauty this morning.